The wisdom of experts can change your life. As a co-chair at the University of Texas, you've attained this elite status from growing and evolving over the course of your coaching career. In our Learning from Experts podcast, exclusively for the head coaches here at the University of Texas, we're going to accelerate that process. You'll hear from world-class coaches, sports psychologists, and successful people. And occasionally, it's the wisdom that impacts other areas of your life, like your health or your marriage. But here's something really important to appreciate. Timing. Hearing something at exactly the right time makes all the difference. Sometimes it's repetition. Hearing a concept multiple times until it resonates with you. So buckle up. This week's Learning from the Experts is about to begin. Hey coaches, John Mitchell here. This week, we're gonna hear from Gary Keller. He's the founder of Keller Williams, the largest real estate company in the country. He employs 250,000 people. So why am I sharing this interview with our coaches? Because Gary has a very unique approach to leadership. He has built his company on the concept of training his workforce way beyond what his competitors do. More specifically, training his employees on how to think, on how to think. How innovative is that? I find this fascinating because 98% of people don't grow themselves intellectually. That's just the cold, hard truth. Their growth is not consistent and it's not strategic relative to what they want to accomplish. But Gary overcomes that by putting the growth of his employees on his shoulders rather than relying on his employees to grow themselves. His strategy is brilliant. Listen for his definition of leadership. He teaches people how to think the way they need to think so they can do what they need to do when they need to do it so that they get what they want when they want it. Pretty interesting. Also listen for Gary's success formula. This is built around four things, mission, vision, values, and beliefs. And thirdly, listen for how he talks about win the morning, win the day. And here's the essence of what you learned today. Growing intellectually is the absolute key to an evolving better life. Haven't you seen as you've grown older that your life has gotten better simply from being more enlightened? Boy, I sure have. My life experience has taught me that people thrive or don't based on their level of enlightenment. So you have to be constantly be getting more enlightened. Pretty simple. So with that said, let's get rolling and listen to this great interview of Gary Keller. And remember, as a coach here at the University of Texas, hey, you're living the dream. Welcome to Game Changers with Molly Fletcher, where we take you behind the scenes with peak performers to learn what makes them tick and discover how you can apply their lessons to your life. I'm your host, Molly Fletcher. Today's guest, Gary Keller, is the founder and chairman of the board for Keller Williams Realty, the largest real estate franchise in North America. Gary took his company and his philosophy of people helping people nationally and then internationally. He's a New York Times bestselling author of numerous books, including The One Thing, The Surprising Truth Behind Extraordinary Results a recipient of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and finalist for Inc. Magazine's Entrepreneur of the Year. Gary is widely recognized as a top business leader. Today's conversation is a masterclass in leadership. We dig into the leadership frameworks that Gary has developed over the years to help you cut through the clutter, be more productive, and master what matters most to you. Here we go. This is my conversation with my friend, Gary Keller.
Gary, it is so awesome to see you again. You know, the last time I think we jumped into each other's arms on stage at the KW family reunion. Because you were awesome. Well, what? You changed lives. You changed lives that day, dear. Thank you. What do we have? 15,000 in the room that day, I think, right? 18,000? It was a lot. You had a lot. Well, we changed a lot of hearts and souls. You did, dear. Thank you for doing that. You were awesome. Well, it uh, it was a treat. So, you know, before... I went up, it was so cool, some of the conversations that we had. And, you know, one of the things that's intriguing to me that I'm not sure everybody knows is that you view really Keller Williams as a a training and coaching company, right, at the core. And it's what lights you up, Gary, right, coaching and, and, and teaching. Tell me a little bit about when you got clear on your why, when you got clear on your purpose. You know, well, for me, the um, when I came out of college and had a broker's license and was was already selling real estate, but for some odd reason, I went down to the local college and I started teaching people. Now, I'm 22 years old, right? What do I know? I don't even own a house, but I'm teaching. And then all of a sudden, I'm teaching in the the, the company I'm with, right? I'm, I'm sitting down with people going, look, let me show you how to do this, how to do that. Now, make no mistake, I was a runner-up for the Rookie of the Year in the largest real estate firm in Austin, my first year in real estate. So I wasn't a slouch. But, and by the way, the only reason why I wasn't number one is I took the last month off because I held my financial goals and I went on vacation. So had I stayed in the game, I'd have, I'd have been tops, but I wasn't. But probably about five or six years, so this is my life and I'm doing this. And about five or six years later, seven years later, someone gave me a behavioral assessment, personality test, if you will. And as they validated that test to me, my life became so clear because as as they stuck a mirror up to me and said, look, this is who you are. This is how you like to behave. This is, right? I realized, oh my gosh, no matter what, what situation I was in in life, it didn't matter where I was, whether it was informal relationships, friends and family, business, charity, fraternity, didn't matter. Eventually, I ended up in a teaching and mentoring coaching role. And this behavioral assessment made it so clear that I, I literally, you know, sat down and, and just wrote it out and said, I'm, I'm clear, man, my mission, my purpose in life is to help people lead their greatest lives possible through my writing, my teaching, my coaching, my mentoring, my business, my charity, my money, whatever I do, that's the goal. That, that became my life. Right. And you're a heck of a leader. And and what struck me when I was at the KW family reunion is the love in the room and the love for you. There was no exception to those kinds of moments where people go, oh, Gary, oh, he's the best. He's great. Oh, he's the best. And I, I say that only because to me, what's interesting about what you're sharing is the connection between leadership and teaching and coaching. Oh, sure. How do those come together in your mind? Because I have a definition of what leadership is that that works that way. So if the goal of leadership is to get people to take action, right, to take action that has results, that's the goal of leadership, right? Okay. If that's the goal, then what's the definition of leadership? And for me, it's real simple. It's teaching people how to think the way they need to think so they can do what they need to do when they need to do it so they can get what they want when they want it. So teaching people how to think is in fact, right? I mean, look, I can either teach you how to think or I can make you do something or I can do it for you, right? If we want outcomes, if I'm not going to do it and you're going to do it, what are my options? I, right, I can make you do it. I can, I can cheat and give you and, and, and get, just hand it to you, or I could teach you how to think so that when you take action, you take the right action to get the results that you need. So leadership is really teaching people how to think. I mean, leadership is, and when you understand this, you begin to realize that leadership is really, is really about helping people be productive. That's what leadership really is. Right now, we have all kind of different examples of leadership in this world, and people get a little confused because they see examples of the leader telling, and they go, "Oh, that's leadership." And you go, mm, "No, I think telling is telling. I think leadership is helping people learn to think the way, to, the way they need to think, so they can do what they need to do." And then we have all these tools. We call it coaching and mentoring and consulting and teaching. Uh, right? We have all these different tools, but at the end of the day, we need people to take action and we need them to buy into that action. What's your approach to helping coach and teach people how to think the way they need to think 
as you described, what's your approach to that? Maybe what are your top two or three things that you do to help people do that? Again, you think about leaders are judged by what their people do, right? Yep. So essentially, that means we're in the people development business so that people will take the right actions and do the right things, right? So it's the, the number one thing that all leaders will have in common, great leaders, is a training calendar right? Because when, when you're on one-on-one, you're not really teaching, are you? I mean, you're not. You're, you're, you're problem solving. You're coaching in the moment, right? You think about a, a, a sporting event and the coach calls everybody over the sideline. He's not teaching in that moment. The, the teaching is done, right? We're now problem solving. We're making decisions. We're making adjustments, right? This sort of thing. So a great leader has a great training calendar. And by the way, think of it this way. You have these three precious kids in your life, right? You love them very, very much. Wasn't training the, the basis of developing your, ch- your children? Sure it was. And in fact, whether you, you uh, and your family had a training calendar, you probably had one in your mind. But more importantly, the school system sure as heck had a training calendar. And you're looking at that training calendar, right? When they go to college, don't you look at the curriculum, the training calendar, and you look at the courses and you say, you're going to get taught. Well, what's the purpose of, of, of teaching? And the answer is so people will know what, to, know what to do when they need to do it. So when they think about it, they make the right decisions and they take action. Think about it again. And just in raising children, your whole goal was to help your kids make good decisions. Absolutely. So in the beginning, you're making the decisions. I still remember my son is in his little footy pajamas, <laughs> Batman pajamas, I think, right? <laughs> and one night he stomps his foot and he says, Daddy, when do I get to make the decisions? And I got down on my knees and looked at him and said, when you make good ones. And in that moment, I, I even connected the dots and went, ah, so the whole point of leadership is helping my son develop the ability to make good decisions in the moment and take actions on those decisions. So the number one tool is a training calendar, right? Because in that moment, when you realize that someone needs to know something, if you, as a leader, if you don't have access to training, what are you going to tell them to do? And so as a leader, do you do, do you build a generic training calendar for the people that you lead and serve? Do you, do they build it? Do you do it together? Is it different for each individual? I think the way they access is different for every individual. I think the classes are the classes, right? If you think about if you think about leadership, the classes that we would want to teach around that are consistent, right? Where they are in their life will determine which one they take and how often they take, right? So the first question you always ask a leader is how does a leader acquire followers? If it's not, you know, now, of course, you can you can take on a job and they go, congratulations, you're the coach. Congratulations, you're the leader. Here are your people. Go lead. Right. But even then, it doesn't mean they follow. So there's an art of getting people to follow the leader. You can walk in and say I'm the leader. But if your people aren't following you, I would I would say you may not be a leader. (laughs) Right. Right. You may have the title, but you're not. So the question is, how are you going to get them to follow you, Molly? Okay, you're going to teach them. So when you when you talk about this organization, the hallmark of, of, of this organization is teaching. And I think that's why you feel the, the vibe that you feel, because we have literally driven it through the, the organization and through the hearts and minds of, of anyone associated with us that we go learn and we go learn together. And our goal is to learn what to do, how to do it, when to do it. I tell you, Gary, I got, I got a feel for that when I was working out in the gym and there was a guy with a KW tattoo on his neck. And I was like, yeah, dude, oh, no. these people are vested, man. Oh, no. These people are vested. <laughs> well, it is uh, that is awesome leadership nuggets. You know what I mean? It challenges me as a leader of my small team to consider ensuring that there is a robust training calendar in place for the people that, that we lead. And that's what I'm hearing you say. All leaders should de- consider deeply what is that training experience, whether it's a large or small organization, to ensure they're taking people where they need to go? That's it, Molly. And here's the thing I always ask. I start the class off by saying everyone has an ego, right? Your, your self-worth, your self-importance, right? But I have a question for you. Do you have a Migo or a Wego? Mm, I like that. That's good stuff. And let's talk about that, right? And where in your life have you demonstrated? Because like, oh, I'm a wego, and I go, eh, okay. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Uh, the the proof is in the pudding. So why don't you give me examples in your life where you have demonstrated wego, right? 
Taskers are amigos, leaders are wegos. Love it. That's a cool way to say that. So, Gary, you've been around a lot of high performers, and and you are. Been my life with them. Absolutely. What do you see high performers do differently than everybody else? Number one, high performers want to be high performers. So they there's a decision they've already made, Molly, and that is I want to get the most out of my life. And in order to get the most out of my life, I want to get the most out of this situation. So they start with a drive, right? You can't motivate people. You can motivate them, A-I-D. You can't motivate them. Someone says, motivate me. I can't motivate you. In fact, if you're not motivated, I don't I don't know that we can work together. I mean, I'm, my job is not to motivate you. I can motive aid, but I can't motivate. But high performers always start with motivation. They they have they they want to do it, right? They have a purpose, they have a drive. So then it just comes down to goals, plans, actions and results. So high performers in their head have this mantra that just goes over and over and over and over and over, right? What do I want? What am I going to do? I take action, I adjust I never give up. Go, 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 go. Goals, plans, actions, results. Goals, plans, actions, results. Goals, plans, actions, results. And it's a mantra in their head, right? And once they know what the goal is, then they have to have a plan, a game plan. They have to have, they have right? They need to know the steps, right? Yeah. And then it's action. And what separates high performers from everyone else is they take actions on their plans, right? The plan is not a mental exercise. The plan is for only one purpose. And that is for me to take meaningful action that gets me closer to the results I want. That's what a high performer is. You know, you wrote a book I have loved and referenced for years, The One Thing. And you talk a lot about prioritization. You talk about focus. What's your formula, Gary? Now you've got a lot of demands on you. What's your formula for deciding what to prioritize? Well, it's no different than I would coach anyone else on. And that is, what's your mission, vision, values, and beliefs? So it, it really starts, which, by the way, is the formula for leadership, right? Mission, uh, where are we going? Vision, what's life going to look like while we're doing it and, and when we're done, right? Values, what's important to you? Beliefs, what are the rules you will follow? So mission, vision, values, beliefs. Mission, vision, values, beliefs. So for me, it all starts with, with, with reconnecting to what's my mission slash purpose, if you will, right? What's my vision for my life? right? And for the lives of those that interact with me. And then what's the values? What are the things that are most important to me, right? For me, God, family, business. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? And then what are the beliefs? What are the rules that you follow? So that is a formula. So if you're asking me what I do, I'm very, 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 very connected every day to my mission, vision, values, and beliefs. I know exactly what they are. In the class, when I was teaching these young adults on Friday, I get asked this question, how do you make, how do you make your decisions? And I go, that's not complicated. Every decision I make has to be, has to be in alignment with my mission, my vision, my values, and my beliefs. Based upon that, I set a goal. So uh, years ago, we um, it was actually my CEO at the time came in and, and said, I have a, I'm, I'm going to teach you a simple formula, Gary, for goal setting. Her name was Mo Anderson, and she was a genius, still is. And she, she called it the one, three, five, right? One goal, three priorities, and five strategies, GPS, right? When we talk about this in the one thing, but it's it's a one, three, five. So you ask me, I go, well, this is real simple. I understand my mission, my vision, my values, my beliefs. And you can either understand this at a, at a real granular level in life, or you can understand it in a, almost a semi-unconscious, conscious way. Um, but then it comes down to, based upon all that, what's the goal? Right. Right. What's the plan? Three steps. What are my priorities and what are my steps? So I'm always operating off of some sort of a GPS, if you will. And everybody around me is too, by the way. If you came and sat down with me and said, man, I'm really struggling, I'd say, well, first, let's back up. Who are you? I'm mean, just curious, uh, in, in five minutes or less, tell me who you are. What are you about? What do you, why do you get up in the morning? What's your big why? Who are you? Just tell me who you are. Okay, great. Based upon that, so what, what, what's your goal? I mean, now we're talking business. Okay, fine. What's your business goal? What is it? Is it a, is it a dollar amount? Is it a, is a unit amount? Is it some level of achievement? What's the goal you're trying to achieve? Okay, well, show me your plan. What's your plan? What are you following? Explain it to me, right? 
Okay, cool. So let's go to your calendar and let's ask the question, does your calendar reflect your plan? Because high performers understand, they understand a, a fundamental mantra, which is win the morning, win the day. It's a myth that high performance structure their entire days because people look up and go, wow, man, I mean, you must be, you know, on all day. And you go, ah, no way. That's a lie. Nobody's on all day. There's no way you can't. You, 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 we'd end up putting you in a straight jacket and locking yep. you up somewhere. <laughs> For sure. So the question is, can you be productive for about four to five hours, maybe four hours on the thing that matters most? Can you hammer that, right? Yeah, no, I mean, Gary, I, th I think one of the things that's so interesting is that prioritization and focus is key to performance. And you referenced- hundred uh, percent. And you referenced your schedule. It, it, Gary, and I know you read my book, The Energy Clock. We referenced it even when we were together. You bet. What role does energy play, right? So you sort of referenced, I look back at their calendar with them for the last however, does your calendar reflect what matters most? How do you look at that through the lens of energy? Well, energy is such a wonderful word, right? And and are we talking emotional energy? Are we talking intellectual energy? Or are we talk what what kind of energy are we talking? Are we talking about physical energy? What what are we what are we talking about here? I'll start with the the very fact that I think you need um, mental and emotional energy before anything else, right? Which you would get from your mission, vision, values, and beliefs. But short of that, now we have to have physical energy. I mean, we just have to. So for me, there's a schedule, and that is when the morning, when the day. And, you know, we, we did a lot of research on this in the book, The One Thing, Molly. And when you get up in the morning, I don't care what industry you're in, when you wake up, go exercise, go work out. And that's it. And then, and then follow a diet that feeds your body and nourishes your energy. Absolutely. And, and, and I would add, too, relational energy, right, at some level, Gary. I mean, I know your family, your relationships are imperative, and I think – making sure that we're intentional about our relational energy, that we're pouring it into the people in our lives that matter most. And here's the thing I'd say about that. Um, I get accused at times, so don't make fun of me, but I get accused at times of being a little bit too um, uh, thoughtful in the sense of I really think about it. So like when, when, you, br when you bring up relationships, you know, my mom, uh, she was a character. Um, there are more colorful words to describe my mother, uh, but she was a, she was a real character, and, and we had a difficult time. But my goal was is I wanted mom at the end of her life to say you were a good son because I'm not sure that she always believed or thought that right. So I, I I had a shift and I said that's my goal, and then I I literally wrote down a little a little one three five for my mother and my and my relationship right. And I was very, very purposeful about that relationship. Mother loved basketball, so I made sure she had a big screen TV, had the NBA channel, right? Every day on the way home, I'd call and say, are you, you know, you got the game on? You get, are you fixing the rights of the game? What are you going to do? Uh, we played dominoes one day a week. I had this whole schedule of things that, because if I got mom into an activity, then mom uh, uh, was okay. Mom was a hoot. She was a blast. She was my mom. If I could get her an activity, idle minds are the devil's tool. My mother was a devil when her mind was idle. And uh, so I discovered how to do that. And by the way, the week that she died, uh, she turned to me unprovoked and said, you're a good son. And I went, there you go. Right. Because here's what I know. What I know is when we're talking about relationships, this is really important. And that is you want to be able to say at the end of your life, I'm glad I did, not I wish I had. And that's a mantra, right? If you, if you read the books on the regrets of the dying. Yes, right? I have. Yeah. Then there, and there's a, there's a fair amount of that work out there. They, they all have a common answer. And that is men and women who have lived a long time and are lucid uh, as they approach death, they all basically say the same thing. And that is, I wish I had lived my life. I wish I had lived my life on my terms, right? And so you look up and, and you go, okay, well, then my terms would be, I don't want to have any regret. So I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want, and I know that we're all going to die. So I want to make sure that um, if I'm alive, when my precious wife, Mary, passes away, I want her to turn to me and say, we had a great life. I want her to be able to say, I love you and, and thank you for loving me. And we had a great life, right? I want my son and my daughter-in-law to say, we had a great life. We had a great life, you know, because if you have a great life, that's all you can. We, we can't 
can't do anything else. There's nothing beyond that. Well, absolutely. And and it's it's about relationships, about no regrets. It's about, I, I often challenge people, Gary, I say, what do you want on your tombstone? What do you really want it to say? And Gary, you know what's interesting? So I did a, I did an event in kind um, for a school that had lost some children. And we were up on the panel and you asked, you asked parents, what do you want for your children? And they say, most of them say, in this moment, they said, I, I want them to be happy. You say, okay, cool. So if um, they were happy, is that that was what was on their tombstone. Jane was really happy. What do you think? And in that moment, they often go, well, no, that's probably not right, the, the, the answer. So I think we, <laughs> right? I mean, they want them to say, that's you know, it. she, she gave good, back, yeah. to, she, she gave back to others. She contributed to the, all that. So I think we've got to think about that. And then I always, I think it's always cool to sort of say, okay, when you're 90 years old, you're standing in a room having a 90th birthday party, turn around, who's in the room? Who's in the room? And have you poured into those relationships over the years so that the right people are in that room in that moment? I think if you can get it, I think that's so good. So, so, so good. Thank you for saying that. I think if, if you can just grab what you just said and base your life on that understanding, you're going to have a phenomenal life. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yeah. Why, Gary, is a balanced life not something we should strive for, right? What should we seek instead? You, you talk about this. <laughs> well, it's one of the lies of success, right? It, 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 of a balanced life. I go back to science first, Molly, and I go, look, you ever heard of the of concept of quantum jitter? And people go, no. Well, quantum jitter basically says that everything's moving. Everything is moving. So you look at a solid object, it's not solid. That's an illusion. It's moving. I said, you look at a ballerina and it looks like she's, quote, balanced. But if you look really, if you've got a microscope, if you've got binoculars and you look right in on those feet, she's counterbalancing. So what I always say is, is that you, you need to get over this idea that there's such a thing as a balanced life. And the issue is, are you leading a counterbalanced life? And the question there is, is if you know what matters to you, how long are you willing to live outside of that? Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it a month? Is it is a year before you pull back in balance. And then you see people, oh my gosh, that's right. I've, I've been out of balance for 10 years in this relationship, or I've been out of, of balance with my uh, health for five years. And you go, why would you do that, right? All the way I think about it in my own life is it's a life of counterbalancing. Ideally, I'd love to end every day with my wife. I'd love to. But if I have to travel, if I have to go somewhere, that may not be possible. So that just put me out of balance. So, and I'm real clear about that. So I'm going to then counterbalance that back. And I'm not going to wait very long to do it. That makes sense? A hundred percent. I mean, and, 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 you know, I, I'm sure there's people, Gary, and, and, and I get this sometimes, right? I mean, you, you live with a remarkable level of intentionality. I, I mean, it, your days, weeks, months, your relationships, nothing is an accident relevant to the way you show up with the kind of energy in the moments, with the relationships that you have. Where and how do you think you came to recognize the power and that level of discipline and the rewards that come with it. I was a motivated achieving individual like any other achiever. And um, I had a lot of tough things happen to me. Literally, I went from hero to zero back to hero in about a five and a half year period, right? Where uh, as a business person, my wife of, of less than three years uh, divorces me. I have to buy my, I have to buy her out. I have to buy my partner out. This is my second year in business, uh, right? Then the markets crash, blah, 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 blah. And my business, which was good, tanks, and then I rebuild it. And I go from literally zero to number one in my market in less than six years. Never to relinquish that ever, right? And it was in that, um, in that journey that a couple of things happened. Number one, I um, realized that I'd been going through life thinking I was a physical being having a minor spiritual experience. And I realized that I'd just been doing that without thinking about it. And now that I'm thinking about it, I realize, you know what? I think I'm a spiritual being having a minor physical experience. And it was really interesting because up to that moment in my life, I realized I'd been driven by a poor self-image. If I succeed, people will like me. If I do well, people will like me. And all of a sudden, I look up and I go, I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay 
oh no, I've lost my motivation. But in that moment, uh, I realized I hadn't made the decision. I had just been living as a physical being. And I thought about it and I researched it and I came back and said, for my life, I'm going to be intentional, Molly. And that is, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a decision that I'm a spiritual being having a minor physical experience. And I had a big aha. And that was, if I'm a spiritual being uh, in a physical form, that must mean that my goal of my physicality is to develop my spirit, okay? If I buy into that, then how do I develop my spirit in physical form? Well, if you succeed, you do an end zone dance, you, you spike the ball, you go to Disney World, right? You cut the nets down, you, you know, and everybody interviews you and it's awesome. When you lose, uh, you say, what happened? What do I need to do to, to get better? And you learn. So my big aha was I should go out and try to be the biggest failure on the planet. I shouldn't have any fear of physically failing. I should only fear spiritual failing. And so all of a sudden, I kind of became this fearless individual. And then I, I, I'm, I'm ready to take it on. And, and that was life-changing. That was when I looked up and I said, if it's to be, why not me? Right? Why not me? Uh, second thing that happened to me is I'm reading this book called Unlimited Power by Tony Robbins. And in that book, he said something that no one had ever said. And it was that high performers tend to be model builders. In reading what he was talking about, I went, oh my gosh, that's right. Wow, that's so right. So from that, when you talk about intentionality, from that moment on, not only am I thinking big and I'm willing to fail. Now, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying I'm taking, quote, risks, but I'm saying that I'm willing to, to risk the, the thought of failure in order to maximize my potential, right? Well, at the same time, I'm starting to build models. So I'm asking the question, so what's my spiritual model? Okay, what's my physical model? What's my, what's my business model? I'm literally model building. You know, it's interesting what you're saying because one of the things that I know we've talked about and that I talk about often is that it's not about achievement. And, and, and at some level, what I'm hearing you say is that it's the journey, it's not the moment, it's not the achievement. How do you coach that? How do you coach that? Because what I have seen, and truthfully what breaks my heart, Gary, is people who chase this one thing, and then they get there, and number one, it, it's not as amazing as they thought it would be, potentially. And number two is they don't have a plan of what to do next. Tell me your mindset on achievement, Gary. Tell me your mindset on the role that the process plays. How do we make sure that we're living into that so that we don't chase this one thing and then feel empty? There's a fundamental truth, and that is happiness happens on the way to fulfillment. And, and that's not Gary Keller, and that's not Molly Fletcher. That is science. That is research. They are, they are very, very clear that the men and women that are the happiest are the men and women that had a journey of fulfillment. And by the way, money's not going to do that. Money won't make you happy, right? By the way, money won't change you. I, I, someone early in my life said something about, you know, dirty money or, yet, you know, I'm, not, I'm unwilling to do what it takes in order to make a lot of money. And, you know, I researched that and I came back and, and went, well, that's not actually accurate. Money doesn't change you. It reveals you, right? Don't be afraid about having more money, right? Don't be afraid that money's going to change you. Be afraid of what it's going to reveal when you have it. Whatever your values are, money will amplify that. So money in and of itself cannot be an, an end. It's a means to something. What's the something, right? And so the question again is, is what's your purpose? What's your big why? If you have a sense of what excites you in the morning, what, what gets you, you know, going, uh, why are you doing what you're doing? If you can answer that, then money becomes a vehicle to help you do more of that. And that's the trick, right? So you don't ask people how much money you need. In fact, you know, my, my definition of a financially wealthy person is someone who has the unearned income that will finance their purpose in life. By the way, by my definition, if you don't have a purpose, you cannot be financially wealthy because there will never be enough money. So it all gets back to this, it all gets back to this thing, uh, a central theme for me, and I know for you as well, and that is who are you? Why are you alive? Um, get a, if you can get a sense of that, right? Now, I, I have these kids, and they go, well, what if I get it wrong? I said, you can't get it wrong. Most likely, you're already doing the things 
that give you purpose, you just haven't articulated because you never thought of it that way. So I say, look, just write something, write it down, right? Just write down the things that really, really get you going. And then sit with that and then just pick one. So what if I get it wrong? I said, then change it. I said, there's a, you could get it wrong. That's okay. It's not a pass-fail situation. But the sooner you can grab a hold of an idea that you attach as a purpose for you, the sooner you'll get to the answer. If you walk around and say, now I'm going to shave my head, go to a mountaintop, burn incense and chant, uh, that's not how you're going to find it. You're going to find it by coming off the mountain, choosing something, and start living, living your life towards that purpose. And then that'll either be right or wrong. And then you'll make a modification or change if you need to. And then you're going to end up there. Gary, what's something you wish you knew earlier in your life? I think what comes to mind is the, the phrase I use a lot, and that is, no one succeeds alone, no one fails alone. No one ever talked to me that way, Molly. And I don't think I fully understood the power of the right relationships and the wrong relationships. I don't, no one ever talked to me about my, my relationships, people, the, the people that, you know, that you need to, to, to be in relationship with or in business with, and the people that you don't. And I didn't instinctively and naturally get that. So if I look over my life, my biggest mistakes early on were I was, I was in relationship with the wrong people. And had I known that early, early on, my life would have looked very, very different. Not that I wish that my life would look different, but I think that uh, a lot of the challenges and problems that I had early on would have been lessened or gone away had I been more purposeful about who I let into my life or who I let into my business world. One of the things that I've noticed is, and it's, it's kind of phenomenon, uh, and that is I ultimately gave it a model name, okay? And that is I called it wealth determiners. And what I noticed, if you study success, which I do, what you notice is it usually takes no more than five key relationships of wealth determiners, people that either send you money or help you make money. I'm talking about financial wealth determiners, okay? Uh, no more than five, five key relationships, right? And, and so one of the exercises I have people do is I say, draw, uh, put your name up here and then draw five circles and connect them to you. Now fill in the five people that you today that you believe are the most important that help you determine your financial wealth. Mm. And what do you think happens? I, I, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I think they probably... They don't know. They don't, right. Uh, yeah, I think that's so interesting. They never thought of relationships as related to your financial wealth, but it's, to but it's totally true. You know, I could imagine somebody listening thinking, boy, five, right? Like, that doesn't seem like a lot. Tell me your thoughts on that, right? Because I'm thinking about the Gary that's... No more than five. Well, understand that those five are going to go get their five and their fives are going to go get their fives. I mean, it's that idea that you mentioned of scale. It'd be really hard if I were a coach and on a basketball team and my five were underperformer, under, underachieving, uh, lowly motivated athletes. That's your perfect analogy because basketball has five. But think about it again. On a baseball team, it's not nine perfect players on the field. It's not. It's not, by the way. You think about the organizational structure of any sports organization, I promise you it's no more than five. Yeah, it's no more so than five key people. And what, what I discovered over time is my job is to make sure that my five people can kick your ass any day of the week. Absolutely, yeah. And so, Gary, when you think about your five and younger, as you were earlier in your journey with KW, as you think about your five, how did you think about those five? Was it based on skill? Was it based on, obviously, alignment with mission, vision, beliefs, values? But get me inside of the way you think about that tactically. Are they highly motivated? Are they high achievers, right? Because you cannot the you cannot pass the ceiling of your of your team. Your people bring a ceiling. If your five have low ceilings, you're dead out of the gate. You're stopped before you get going, right? Yeah. 
So they've got to be high achievers. They're highly motivated to maximize their potential. That's number one. Uh, number two, a slight chip on their shoulder that that feeds that motivation. They have a little something to prove. I I don't wish them dysfunctionality, by the way, but I'm but I'm saying that an individual who has something to prove to themselves and or to the world and is highly motivated to go do that worth their weight and goal. And then it comes down to, and then after that, it's all alignment, right? Are we aligned on our mission, vision, our values, and our beliefs? Are we, are we a good match? Should we be together? Uh, and then the last one, again, is knowledge and skills and experience. You know, what do you know? What can you do? And what have you done, right? Are we starting from scratch or have you done this before? Or have you done something like this before, right? Are you emerging talent? Are you proven talent? What, what are you? So when you think about those five relationships, uh, and again, we're, we're talking in the context of, of any way, anywhere you want to be. If we're talking to charity, if we're talking to school board, it's not all of them. That's what, that what blows everyone's mind because they go, golly, Keller, I mean, your firm is, is, is around 200,000 people. That seems so complex. And I go, mm, it's not complex at all. Why is that? Because I focus on five. I don't focus on 200. Wow. And, and, and you, you know, and you just said it. I mean, KW is one of the largest real estate. It's the largest by agent count under one brand. That's what it is. Okay. And okay. sells more real estate than anyone else under That's one unbelievable. brand in yeah. the world. Yep. And by the way, it does get complex. I mean, in, in, in the sense of it's, it's, it's on one hand, it's a complex organization, but we can't live in complexity. Mm-hmm. It's not sustainable. No, it's not sustainable. That's right. So we, we, we have to find models that allow us to focus in a simple way. What's been a bigger challenge for you and, and, and maybe why? Building the organization the way you have, building KW, building the company or leading it? I think they're synonymous. I absolutely didn't build it. There's a misnomer to think that Gary Keller did anything other than lead. There's no way that I could build it. People were going to have to do that. And it was going to have to be people that doing that matched their big why, right? And it, and, it, and it fed their life in a manner that gave meaning to it. So that was it. You're just looking for like-minded individuals who want to succeed in a system that you've created. And, then, and in that system, they can maximize their potential. I mean, we've had, in the last two years, we've had two individuals inside our company get, get billion-dollar valuations on their company inside our company. Oh, wow. Wow. I know. And, and I think that's a tip of the iceberg of what's possible. So it's coming in and saying, you know, what is, what is it? Um, the lid of the leader is the lid of the team. John Maxwell, I believe, is, is our friend. John is, is the, the author of that saying. The, but that's right. I mean, the, the, the lid of the, of the leader. The, so as a leader, think of it again. The lid of the parent is the lid of the child. Right. The lid of the dog owner is the lid of the dog. I mean, it, <laughs> right. the number one challenge that we have as a, in a leadership role in our lives is what's our lid. And if we walk around and, and you and once you realize this theory, this idea of the lid and you look around the world, my gosh, you start seeing lids everywhere. You see lids on marriages. You see lids on partnerships. You see lids on careers. You see lids on businesses, right? You see the lid. You see the lid clearly and you go, wow, 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 wow. So you, at, at the end of the day, if, you, if you've accepted a role as a leader, it starts with your lid. Because the opportunity of leadership is to change yourself first. I asked the kids, I said, give me your definition of leadership. And they, they, they play around with it. And these are young adults, right? And they, they play around with it. And they finally get to this thing of, well, getting people to take action, right? And it goes, really interesting that you went right to leading others and not yourself. And I'm curious why you did that. Why was your go-to, when I asked you that, and I didn't give you any parameters, you all went to leading others. When if you can't lead yourself first, I don't know what in the douche you know you're doing <laughs> to lead others. Right. Amen. Totally. The opportunity. I mean, when again you think about leadership, mission, vision, values, and beliefs, right? When you think about leadership in that in the, that way, self leadership 
is the exact same formula as leading others. This is so powerful, so good. All these nuggets, Gary. I mean, I, I, you know, I've read obviously the one thing and I've spent time with you, but your level of wisdom around leadership, man, oh man, it's good. Where, where do people go to take in more Gary leadership kind of content, right? Because I'll take it through a fire hose. It's good, man. Well, I have a podcast with my, my partner, Jay, called Think Like a CEO. So that's the from a public standpoint. No, to be candid with you, I have a philosophy, and that is people that work with me are more important than people that don't. I have a family of 200,000 people, and I wake up every day, and my heart, my mind, my, my actions are all focused on uh, uh, living my, my, you know, living my life through helping them lead their best lives. So that's how you find me or go read the one thing or go listen to the one thing podcast. I mean, you know, the, the, it's all embedded in all of that. Right. All right. I'm going to hit you with some rapid fire. You know, the drill, you listen to the podcast. So, uh, you know, this drill. So you've probably had some time to anticipate this a little bit. What's your morning or evening routine? You know the answer to that. Win the morning, win the day. So my routine is to have my best day by noon. My routine is get up in the morning, uh, meditate, uh, drink my my concoction of energy drink, uh, hit the gym for an hour and 20 minutes, literally an hour and 20 minutes of, of strength training and cardio. Um, I have a, a gentleman come to my house and beat the crud out of me every day. Um, go in. I make my eight egg whites uh, with two egg yolks for Mary and I and a little for our dog, Millie. And uh, I make our, our protein smoothies for breakfast and for lunch. And, and right, my wife comes in from her workout. There are the eggs. There's the tea. There's the smoothies uh, for breakfast and for lunch. She and I sit down and we, we always find time for a few minutes to have our tea together. We don't drink coffee, but we drink black and green tea. And so we, we, we spend a few moments, that's what we do. And then I hit it. It's, it's I, I go to my priorities and my goal is to hit my priorities by noon, one o'clock. And then I let the world come to me after that. What's your favorite book? I would say there's tons of them. Unlimited Power was probably the most important. The Behind the Golden Arches and the story of the French fries changed my life forever. I was in a really tough time in the in the uh, late 80s trying to expand my business and I was failing. And Mary and I went to the bookstore and we just pulled books and I, I came up with a whole box of books home. But it was behind the golden arches where it tells the story of Ray Kroc goes down to California and he, he, he meets the McDonald's brothers. He's trying to figure out, you know, uh, how they're doing, what they're doing. He decides he wants to franchise them. They, I'm giving you the short version. And he they agree. He goes back to Illinois. He makes the French fries and they don't taste good calls McDonald's brothers, what happens? And they're telling him everything they know and it's not working, Molly, they don't taste good. So finally, Croc says, I'm gonna go back to where you source your potatoes and I'm gonna track the potato. And he found the secret and that was, they hadn't figured out a way to cook a French fry. They had stumbled on a way to cure a potato. In other words, the secret to the success of why that McDonald's French fry tasted so good was because when you took a potato and you put it in an open-air burlap sack and you hung it in that climate in sunny Southern California and it cured rapidly, it tasted great when you cooked it. So they went back, they duplicated how to cure the potato and the rest is history. And I read that the exact moment in history when I was failing and I realized I was teaching people only what I had thought up, not what I had done. So I hired someone and paid them to take a recorder, a video camera, and a notebook. And they followed me around uh, for X number of months. And I went out and, and opened another business and they documented. If I burped, they wrote it down. If I turned left, just because the sun was in my eyes, they wrote it down. So they documented what I did, not just what I was thinking up. And then I took that manual, that launch manual, and went back to Houston and met a lovely individual, taught her for two weeks, and then I drove out of town. And I went, come on, sevens, right? And of course, <laughs> that business is still there today and was amazing. And anyway, so the Behind the Golden Arches was the other one. How many models do you have, Gary? I, I'm just curious. How many models do you lean into in life that you then, I would imagine, look at and filter personal, professional, et cetera, health, fitness? There are six areas of discipline, right, where I have, where I have models, right? And, that, and that's kind of it, right? Self, time, money, spiritual, physical, and change. 
then I have a fundamental model on the five different key, re- the five different types of relationships. So I have these two models going simultaneously. What are the areas? What are the areas that I, I'm intentional about? The thing is, what I learned is, is that I don't have to be intentional about everything. I only, I only have to be intentional about the things that matter. So Gary, the show's called Game Changers. So who or what is a game changer who inspires you and why? Well, we kind of talked about some of them, right? So my game changers are around, would be around my models, right? So Jesus, right, for, for thinking it would be Abraham Lincoln, right? For exercise, it would be Jack LaLanne, and then it's Clarence Bass. Uh, for money, it'd be Warren Buffett. Uh, and, you know, for, for culture, it would be my, my first CEO, Mo Anderson, who's one of my heroes, and those are all the people, right? So for me, game changers, the way I think about that is who, who are the role models? Who's the avatar who is fighting the good battle for the thing that I want to battle with? Mm, well said. Gary, what a treat to have you on. This was... Oh, thank you. Mom. I learned so much. I'm going to hit ah, you with some... Me too. Let me tell you something. I'm hitting you with some emails after this because I need to dig into some of these models. Some fascinating. <laughs> Well, thank you. Call me in a couple of years. We'll come back on and we'll talk nothing but models. Round two, baby. Round two. Awesome, Gary. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Coaches, I hope you found that enlightening. So here's the three takeaways from this interview. First, the definition of leadership. It comes down to teaching people how to think the way they need to think so they can do what they need to do when they need to do it so that they can get what they want when they want it. Boy, this is really teaching people leadership of self. And a person can't lead others until they learn to lead themselves. And here's the second takeaway. Gary has a success formula. It starts with a vision for your life, defining your mission, vision, values, and beliefs. Always being tuned into those four things. Then you set goals, plans, and take action then desired results occur. You must create your own life GPS. And here's the third takeaway. You must have a great training calendar. Got to always be growing your team intellectually. They won't do it for themselves. So this personal growth is on you as a leader. Gary has built Keller Williams into an amazing training company. That's the secret sauce for his success as the largest real estate company in the United States. And here's the action step this week. Keller Williams became the biggest real estate company in the United States, which is based here in Austin, from embracing continually growing and improving their employees in a way far beyond what their competitors do, using an ever-evolving training calendar. What do you think about doing something similar for your team? Here's reality. Your athletes and assistant coaches are not going to grow themselves intellectually. Only the rare individual does that. So you have to embrace taking that responsibility by really teaching them how to think. That's how you get them to buy into embracing the process and doing the work. If this is something that interests you, let me know. I'd be honored to assist you in creating conceptually an ongoing personal growth calendar for your team. Until next time, hook them.